Hello, welcome to the Am I a Bad Mom podcast. I'm your host, Christy Ritz-King, trauma therapist, maternal mental health specialist, and mom of three. I have met so many incredible women through the various careers I've had over the years, and no matter where they are along their motherhood journey, they are powerful, they are brave, they are successful in their lives, and none of that matters because they all ask the same question at least once, and that is, am I a bad mom because fill in the blank. There are any number of ways to fill in that blank. And our mission with this podcast is to provide you all of the reasons why the answer to that question is unequivocally no. Every single time, no matter what, the answer is no, you are not a bad mom. And we're here today to show you exactly why. So welcome. We can't wait to help you feel better about the parent and the person that you are. Let's go. We are back for another episode of the podcast. And Today's topic is a loaded one. (laughs) I'm going to kind of vacillate between what the topic, like what I'm actually addressing. So generally speaking, the topic is kids and social media. But really, I want to talk about kids and phones, because I think that there's more to this than just social media. That seems to be the driving force behind the question a lot of the time is like, what do I do with my kids and social media? But really, It starts with kids and phones early on. So I want to start off with a little bit of a, not really disclaimer, but just some facts about my own personal experience with this. My kids are old enough. uh, How do I say this? We had it all for my kids. (laughs) So I think TikTok is about the only thing that was, that transitioned when my kids were little, but it was something else. I can't remember what it was called musically maybe where they were literally just making dance and like lip sync videos first. So it wasn't that it wasn't there. It just wasn't TikTok in its current iteration, but we had it all. We had all the rest of it and we had to navigate all of that. So personally, I have that experience, but also professionally, I am inundated with questions from parents, largely sometimes even like grandparents and aunts and uncles and other caregivers and teachers and all of that with how to navigate this, like what to do with kids and social and kids and phones, really. Like it's that there's there's more to it than just the social aspect of it. And I will get to why I think that's true. I do want everybody to kind of take a deep breath (laughs) and listen with an open mind because this is, again, it's a loaded, it feels like a loaded topic. It feels like everybody's got an opinion. Everybody thinks they know the exact right way to do it, or they feel like they have no clue. Parents themselves feel a little bit out of their depth because maybe they don't utilize a lot of this stuff, or maybe they do and they recognize in their own selves some addiction stuff and some, you know, unhealthy ways of using it. There's a lot of fear around setting certain boundaries. There's a lot of misusing the tool as punishment or consequences for things completely unrelated to using it. That said, there's also, it seems to be a lot of like general permissiveness around this device, these devices that maybe wouldn't be there for some or other things. It's, I don't know, that has a weird pull over us. (laughs) And so I'm going to touch on a couple things that I think are helpful. But then I'm also just going to talk about like, as always, the work we need to do on ourselves to help our kids navigate through this stuff. But a lot of this feels like the Wild West because we're sort of learning on the fly. You know, as I said, my kids are old enough that they, that it wasn't just like flip phones. Like they had smartphones, their friends had smartphones, they had Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter to some degree. They weren't super interested. My oldest was interested in that, but she's always a little bit of an adult sort of political bend that my other kids don't. And I think most kids don't, but 
Yeah. So anyway, there's not a lot out there that tells you sort of how to do it. Or there's stuff out there that tells you like, don't do it or like the ills and the evils of the phone and social media and all of that stuff. And it seems like your options are either give them the phone and and roll the dice or never let them have a phone, never let them do any of these things. It's the devil and you should keep them away from all of it. Those seem to be sometimes the like two things that we're presented with. And neither one of those is correct, actually, including the like, pretend they don't exist and don't let your friends, your kids have access. Ultimately, that isn't helpful either. So I could talk about this for hours. I tried to sort of pare down what I wanted to say so that you didn't have to listen to me for hours. But I want to try to touch on some nitty gritty stuff and some background that I think might be helpful context background that might be helpful. And one is to start with that, the background, the context, like what I see as how people are handling this versus maybe how they want to. And I am immediately taken back to my bedroom as a teen, teen, tween, probably like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And one of the things I will start with that I do think should be kind of hard and fast is that I don't think kids need phones, especially smartphones. Well, I don't think they need them at all before sixth grade. And I'll explain why I think sixth grade is okay in a minute. But prior to that, they definitely shouldn't be on any kind of social media. And they don't have the capacity to navigate the social situations that a phone brings up before sixth grade. Look, it's a mess in sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade too. But certainly before then, they don't need it. They can have a watch or something they can have, you know, if you're worried about knowing where they are or having them be able to contact you, you know, there's things, devices made specifically for younger kids with that. It's a whole nother episode. I'll leave that to the tech people to explain. But the point is there are ways to do it. Also, how often are your kids in a place before they're in sixth grade that you don't know where they are? <laughs> that there is not another adult that you can be in contact with to help you understand where they are to get to them if you need them. Rarely, if ever at all, are they somewhere where you might need a phone to get in touch with them before, prior to sixth grade. I say sixth grade because oftentimes that's the switch, at least in the United States, that's the switch to middle school. And in middle school, oftentimes kids are walking or they're going a different, or they're on the bus off, on and off the bus themselves, maybe in the morning or in the afternoon, just for even a few minutes or something. And so it's understandable why parents might want to have contact with them in that way. That said, if you don't need that kind of contact in sixth grade with them, Trust me when I tell you the social implications of them not having a phone, while they might seem terrible in the moment, are actually going to be less potentially dangerous than having a phone. I know I get a lot of parents that think I have to give them one, all their friends have one and they'll be left out of everything. They won't. <laughs> For the most part, they're going to feel like they're left out of everything, but they're really only left out of the stuff that you probably don't want them to be part of anyway. Because in those middle school years, kids are, I mean, that was my favorite grade to teach. Those are my favorite grades to teach, but they're a hot mess. They're emotionally all over the place. They're trying to figure out their own sense of self. They're trying to figure out their friend groups. A lot of times their friend groups shift. It becomes sort of fodder for this like minute to minute changing of loyalties and changing of focus and you know, the sometimes the, and, and this is not just girls, by the way, this is sort of all of them, the pressure to conform and or gossip and talk about kids is at its all time high and throw a phone in that mix. And it just makes it all that much harder to navigate. So if you're going to get a kid a phone in the sixth grade, you need to 
put a lot of parameters around it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But if you are only thinking you need to get them one because everybody else has one and you're worried that that they're going to be like social pariahs, that is not as worrisome as some of the things that might happen with the phone. Now, that said, eighth grade, ninth grade, like that becomes the way that they communicate with one another in high school very often, including just literally communicate with each other, make friends, learn about each other, be on different platforms with one another. And so it does become more difficult as they get older if they don't have something. If you want to get a sixth grader a flip phone so that they can text you, and I don't even know if they make flip phones anymore, by the way, but like a a non-smartphone or a very limited smartphone, meaning you could get them a smartphone, but if they can only text and only call and maybe play, you know, a crossword game or something on it, great. (laughs) You don't need to have access to all of the things that can be on a smartphone in order if you give them a phone. In fact, I would suggest you don't. If you're going to give your kid a phone and whatever, I mean, I don't think you should give them a phone before sixth grade, but if you're going to give them a phone in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they shouldn't have access to anything on that phone other than games and text, like texting and calls, FaceTime if it's an iPhone for you. (laughs) So let's get into that. Let's say you give your kid a phone in sixth grade. It's either a birthday present or a back to school present or a holiday present of some kind. And they get the phone in sixth grade. There are rules around that phone and there should be rules around that phone, including access to, limited access to. For instance, don't plug it in in their bedrooms. Have it plugged in to charge for the night at a specific time and in a specific room that is not their own every single night and stick to that. And the beauty of giving a kid a phone earlier in those early days is that you set the standard then for the use of it so that when they do get older and you can release the reins a little bit, they have developed some healthy habits around it. You know, we always say don't plug it in next to your bed as an adult. Imagine how distracting it is for a kid. With that in mind, knowing your own kid well enough to know Can they even have it in their room during homework time or at the table during homework time? Or where do you want to set the parameters around it that will be most helpful for them to navigate the world of owning this kind of personal communication device? You know yourself, I know myself well enough to know how addicting these things are. I mean, mine is not far from me right now, and it's everything I could do not to look at it to check if there's a notification that comes up or something pops up on the screen or I notice the buzz. It's everything I could do not to pick it up and check. They are addicting. There are games I play every day. There are, you know, I check email incessantly. I check socials incessantly. Like I know my own problems with the thing. Imagine if I had gotten one when my brain wasn't fully developed yet how much more difficult that would be to navigate. If you think of it from the parenting perspective like that, like we would never just hand our kids keys to a car and expect that they're going to know how to drive or expect that they're going to know the rules of the road or the best choices to make when behind that wheel of a car if we gave them no guidance. And yet I see every day people who buy their kids a phone and then expect that they're just going to figure it out. Or sometimes even worse, they think that they are not entitled to tell their kids how to use this device. Or they use the device as a consequence and punishment. And it only becomes that, a tool of consequence and punishment, rather than teaching them how to use it so that you don't need consequences and punishments for it. If taking it away is a thing that you're going to expect, they're just going to understand the lesson, they're not. (laughs) What they're going to understand is my parents randomly take my phone away and it stinks. 
and I'm cut off from everybody and it stinks. Whereas if you're setting the parameters early on, you have more capacity to be able to tell them why and kind of help them understand that these are all actually ways of developing healthy habits around the phone rather than this is me arbitrarily making rules up for you because this thing that you love, I don't want you to have. (laughs) which is what it feels like to a kid when we don't sort of explain why we're taking it away or why we're doing what we're doing. But if you say to them, you need to plug it in outside of your room every single night because it's hard to sleep when it's in your room or because I don't want it to distract you in the middle of the night. And because I am still the parent and I'm in charge of it, it is technically my piece of property because I pay everything for it and I own everything for it. And therefore, I need to have access to it. Part number two of this is when you allow them to be on social, there should be rules around that too that are not rules for the sake of making them do it a certain way, but rather the support scaffolding they need to be able to navigate that arena. So things like plugging it in and not being able to use it when you're, you know, having family dinner, like those are important just for socialization purposes, but you having access to it is important for you to understand and for them to understand that what they put on there is not a journal. It's not a diary. (laughs) It's public information what they put on there. And I know sometimes they're just texting. It's not social based. It's just texting, but they still should have the thought in mind that this thing that I'm putting in writing out to this other person is really open to the world. They can take a screenshot. They can send it to another friend. They can copy and paste it. They can do whatever they want with it. So helping them understand that there's not an end point to what they type into that phone. And You know, I don't know if you, I'm dating myself definitely. So hopefully some of you guys remember this, but there used to be this thing when I was younger that was kind of new called three-way calling. To this day, I still don't understand how to do it because I never utilized it when I was young, but it was a way that you could basically conference in another person. They didn't all have to know. (laughs) that the person was on there. So as you might imagine, there were plenty of girls that I knew that got into big trouble kind of setting up that third party to say something they shouldn't or to, you know, gossip about the other person on the phone or just, it was just like this awful trap for people to be able to, you know, be mean essentially on the phone. And you didn't really know how to avoid it until, or that you even should be looking to avoid it until something awful happened and you were the brunt of the bullying or the picking on or the whatever. It's the same thing for how you use these phones. Kids don't sort of make the jump to consequences for their behaviors all the time, especially with something this sort of nebulous as, you know, communicating out into the air. They are not thinking two steps ahead when they respond to somebody or when they ask a question of somebody or when they say something on on text or Snapchat or Discord or any of the things that they can have on their phones. They don't know the potential. And it's parents' job to help them understand that prior to doing it. And one of the ways to help them understand that their speech, you know, their speech on these phones, their their behavior on these phones has greater, far greater reach is to have access to them so that they know you're monitoring them. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. You can set it up on the phone so you get copies of all of their texts and all of their things. And I know plenty of parents who've done that. It sounds exhausting to me, but if it works for you, that's fine. I was always like, you plug it in in the living room. I have all your passcodes. I can get into this at any time. Again, it's not a journal. It's not their private property. 
It is a tool that they use that you as a parent have access to. That said, I want to really emphasize this part because it's the only way it works. (laughs) You have to respect that access. And what I mean by that is you are not accessing that phone to catch them, gotcha mechanism, or as a way to punish them for something. You are accessing that phone so that you can be aware of where they might need guidance. For instance, I will tell a little story on my middle kid because these kids are all grown up now, so it doesn't matter anymore. But I want to say maybe fifth or... No, they didn't get their phones till sixth grade. So it had to be sixth grade, maybe sixth or seventh. I still think of them as very young at that point. It was sixth or seventh grade. There was a text, a group text message. I can't remember if it was an actual text message or if it was Snapchat. I think it was still text messages because I was very lucky and that a lot of my kids' peers didn't have some of those things until later on. So I think it was a text message. Group chat with just the most foul language. (laughs) You know, these were sixth and seventh grade kids sort of feeling out their way in this independent world and just the most disgusting text messages. And one time there was a little bit of a situation where they were ganging up on someone. And so I brought it to my kids' attention and and I brought it to their attention by saying, hey, I noticed this thing on the text messages and I wanted to see how you were feeling about it, your role in it, your navigation of it, if you want me to step in, if you feel like you need to get out of the text group, because I noticed that they weren't really, my kid wasn't really participating at that point. Like they weren't part of the ganging up piece on those text messages. So I actually brought that up too. Like, I don't see you doing it, but I'm wondering if this is something that's also showing up in the classroom and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's kind of irrelevant. The point of that was when I first brought it to their attention, I said, hey, I noticed something in the group text message and they immediately responded. I mean, I don't say those words, (laughs) which was A, not true because I saw some text messages with, I also had heard them playing games where they say those words. So that's not what I'm talking about. Because they had gotten in trouble for cursing with their friends on a text message, then I have no leg to stand on if something bigger happens, like a bullying thing. If I'm spying on them, quote unquote, and I'm picking at them for every little thing, then it doesn't matter when I have to really talk to them about something serious because they will have learned to tune me out. So the only way the parameter I had of you plug it in at night and I have access to is the only way that worked is because I only brought things up that were actually really serious and maybe they might have needed my help with. I didn't bring up the cursing because if I wasn't checking their phone, I'd have no idea. They didn't do it in front of me. They didn't do it in front of their friend's parents. They didn't do it at school. It wasn't something, you know, I'm sure they did it on the playground at recess. I'm sure they did it at lunch tables. I'm sure they did it when they were together on the basketball court or whatever, but they didn't do it anywhere where they weren't supposed to. And so that would have been pushing it for me to be like, hey, you shouldn't be talking like this because guess what? First of all, their mother talks that way sometimes, but also that's a lesson in your, you know, where and when things are appropriate and You know, I did say to them when they said, like, I don't say those words. I was like, look, that's not what I'm talking about. I was like, although that language isn't great if it's in public. So anywhere outside of your group chat, you know, don't put that on on Instagram or don't put that on Snapchat or whatever, unless it's a private thing, because you don't want other people thinking you talk like that. So there was a lesson in that, but that wasn't what I was bringing up because I wanted to address the deeper thing. And if I had picked at every little thing. It's the same way with um, 
with the Life 360 or the Find My Phone or any of those things where you can track your kids' whereabouts. I can't tell you the amount of parents who come into my office and say, my kid turned off their location services because they're sick of their parent constantly tracking them or at least knowing that they constantly track them. When I brought this up to my kids, they said something like, why would we need to turn off our location services? You don't track us. And I thought, oh yeah, I do. (laughs) Every time you leave in a car, I find out where you are. Or every time you're not home when you're supposed to be, I check to see where you are. No, they have no idea because I'm not pinging them. I'm not texting them. I'm not asking them where they were. I'm not wondering about it. I mean, if it's within the parameters we've already discussed. My kids have gone to college. I definitely check sometimes to see like, oh, are they tucked in their little dorm beds? Because that satisfies my own anxiety. They have no idea I'm doing that because I don't say to them, hey, I notice you're not in your dorm. What are you doing? Because holy cow, I would turn my location services off like that if my parent did that to me. So I don't do that to them. So rewinding here to this, this point I'm trying to make is you need parameters around the phone when your kids are young. But you need to respect those parameters as much as they do. And you need to respect their autonomy in a way that's going to be really hard (laughs) because the parameters are guidance. They are not control. So your mission here is not to control your children. It's to guide them and help them manage their own way through this wild west of using phones and social media. If you have those rules and uh, parameters. I'm going to call them parameters because rules makes it sound like if you have the parameters around them, the first thing you need to do is figure out, well, what is it I want them to learn and do and be with this phone? For example, there is nothing that drives me more crazy when I see families together. Anybody under the age of 30 is staring at a screen. So in my family, you are not allowed to have devices at the table if we are sitting down to eat a meal. That said, there are nights where we all sit in front of a TV or we all sit at the kitchen counter with our devices. But if it is a family meal where we have chosen to sit at the table together, there are no devices, including their father and I, and their father is harder to control (laughs) because, you know, sometimes work is work and they need to be on call or whatever. But for the most part, they, they don't have it at the dinner table either, for the most part. And certainly like never when we're on vacation or never when we're out to dinner, do they have it there? But the kids too, they are not allowed to have their phones at dinner and I can't either. And that's, you know, been harder probably than making them not have it. I would suggest that for everybody because I think you're, again, if you're trying to guide them in how to use this kind of stuff, one, you're teaching them that the people that are right in front of you are most important in the moment. And two, you can survive without that 24-7 access to a phone. You don't need to know things right at this very second to be able to continue on with your life. And and it also helps like in the instance of my kid's father, it helps then to have them see, oh, he has it because today something happened at work that requires his after hours attention. And so it must be important because he usually doesn't have his phone at the dinner table. So this is not just a like, I'm choosing this phone over you guys all the time, or I'm so distracted, I can't even pay attention to you. It's more of a like, oh, dad never has his phone at the table. So when he does, it's kind of a big deal. Your expectations for how they should behave in the world (laughs) and what helps you to behave in the world better with a phone. So, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I 
I got to check my own self if I'm not allowed to be looking at the phone. When they were little and I only had the phone and they didn't, there was plenty of times where I caught myself scrolling while they were trying to tell me a story or something. And that's terrible. So I'm like, I had to check my own self too and not be on it when I shouldn't be on it. In my household, you weren't allowed to have phones or devices of any kind at the table, including when they were out to dinner, you know, figure it out, talk to each other, bring crayons and a piece of paper or something, interact with your children. If you're going out to dinner and you want to distract them so they don't bother you, maybe don't go out or pay for a babysitter or or, or you know, have or go to a restaurant that's like kid friendly so that they can talk amongst themselves or be loud with themselves and it doesn't matter to the dinner that you're going to. If your only way of getting through things is to put them on a screen, it's just going to be that much harder later when you want to actually interact with them. That's a whole nother episode. We could we could do that a whole nother episode on that. But as far as your middle schooler and phones, you know, for us, it was not at the table. If you're riding in the front seat with me as the driver, you're not allowed to have a phone out because you're sitting in the front seat with me. It's rude to, to have your to be scrolling your phone. And I know there's some of you out there like, I can't even imagine enacting this. But this is the part of the world where it helped that my kids started this young. They started in sixth grade where I could still make these rules in a way that didn't have too much pushback. Because guess what? You're only in sixth grade. You don't need a phone. If you can't handle these parameters then you don't get a phone yet. So then by the time they got to be 16, 17, you know, 15, 16, 17, and were on their phones all the time, and they sat in the front, it's more of a joking like, hey, what are you doing? You're sitting in the front. You got to, you know, whatever. Check, play Wordle when you get home. (laughs) Or, you know, call your friend or text your friends when you get home. Especially I have a high schooler who is not allowed. They're like hawks at, at their school, at his school for when they are on their phone. So the kids really don't go on them much unless they sneak off to the bathroom somewhere. So it's almost like he's like, you know, itching to put that thing in his hand as soon as he gets out of the school. And on there's days where I pick him up sometimes and I'm like, you got to put it away, man. I give him a minute because I recognize like it's like oxygen. <laughs> he hasn't had it all day. But then I'm usually by the time we've pulled away from the building, I'm like, OK, put your phone away. Like you can look at it when you get home. But I'm only able to do that now without much pushback because when they were 11 and 12, that was the expectation. So they've learned, oh, it's rude. It's not arbitrary. It's not because my mom doesn't want me to see these things. It's not because my mom doesn't understand this is important to me. It's not because any of those things, which is what it feels like when it comes out of nowhere. But it started with them as, no, it's rude to be on the phone in the front seat of the car because there's somebody who wants to interact with you and talk to you. That said, sometimes we don't talk. It's not like we're having great deep conversations sometimes in the front seat of the car, but but sometimes we are. <laughs> hey, listener. If you appreciate what you get here as far as support and camaraderie and feeling like you're not alone, then I think you should really check out the Women of Wonder community that I run. It is exactly that. (laughs) It is a community full of support and camaraderie and you are not aloneness. It is meant to replace the old fashioned Facebook groups that we used to love before it got so mean and snarky and Facebooky. It is a place where you can ask the questions you have, where you can share the joys and share the sorrows and expect a supportive response, non-judgmental response. We meet weekly via Zoom, so we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And there are other supports like newsletters and uh, message boards and all of the things that you can and want and need in your life to provide you that support and scaffolding to help do this job we call motherhood. Check it out on my 
website, wonderinkwellness.com. It's called the Women of Wonder Community. And you can sign up today and get two months free if you do a year subscription. If you have any questions, again, always send me an email, but I would love to see you inside. So you have to know your own self and you have to know what is important to you and then base the parameters around how is that going to help shape that for the kid. You know, we talked about these things being really addicting. So helping them understand that, like games are made that way, socials made that way, all of these algorithms are created that way that you have to check and look and be, and you're going to be fed stuff in the algorithm that maybe you didn't even know you were interested in and now suddenly you're interested in. As they grow up, you can teach them that kind of stuff too. And as a way of saying, like, this is why I have you plug it in at night, because when you're tired and sort of resistance is low and you're scrolling and suddenly all these things in your feed are things that you feel like you have to have, that's not a really healthy way to go to bed at night. But that's what the algorithm's there for. It's trying to sell you stuff. That's the whole point of these is to make money and sell you things. And so they're going to give you stories or they're going to give you products or they're going to give you things in your feed that you, for whatever reason, it thinks you want to see and hear. And so I'm trying to just give you a break from that at night. We're plugging it in at night because you don't need that in your room at night, you know, or these games are addicting or whatever it is. So parameters around when and where they can use it, how frequently they can use it, and then what they can do on it. Those are the sort of buckets that you need to monitor, especially if you're giving it to them young, is when and where can they use it? What can they use it for? And then sort of as they grow, how do those change? And because that you have reasons why. For instance, no sixth grader needs Snapchat. They just don't. They're going to tell you they do because their friends have it. No sixth grader needs TikTok. <laughs> they're all going to tell you they need it because all they have friends that are on it and they're making cute dances and people are getting famous from it and they're going viral and all of those things. Everything they want to see will still be there when they get it later in their life and they're more able to handle it. But currently at sixth grade, at that age, they're so impressionable and they're so like their brains are so mushy still. <laughs> that to have that constant feed of stuff coming at them can be really detrimental. And so finding something else for them, finding a game, and I'll, I'll link to some resources at the end of this in the what are you noticing segment, stick around for that because I'll talk about some resources there that are really helpful in navigating this whole thing. So having your strict, and by strict, I mean consistent boundaries around where, when, accessibility, what they can use on it, where, when, and what, having your consistent and strict boundaries around that. And I don't mean strict in the arbitrary punishment way. <laughs> I mean strict as in they're consistent, they're understood, they make sense to the kids. Know your own stuff. Not only how this stuff affects you, but also like you got to know a little bit about all these apps. I've just mentioned TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat. And I think I said another one, Discord. You have to know what those are. <laughs> you don't have to be on them all. You don't have to use them all, but you need to know what they are. You need to know what your kids are seeing there. And you need to, if they have them, you need access to them. Now, again, you'll hear, oh, it doesn't matter if you have access, kids are just going to create a fake account. That's possible. That's it's Maybe it's likely. I believe if you have enough open conversation with them at the outset and you respect that access in a way that they're not like, trying to hide from you, then they probably won't have a fake account. 
<laughs> but you will be able to see, are they either going down a rabbit hole that's bad for them? Are they getting picked on? Are they picking on somebody? Or are they being fed stuff in their feed that's probably going to be detrimental and warrants a conversation on your part? That's why you have access to it. You don't have access to it to catch them doing something. You don't have access to it to punish them. You don't have access to it to control them. You have access to help know where they need guidance. And that's the really important part. I had access to all my kids' social media. I was an invisible presence. Their friends did not know I was there. Their friends did not know I was commenting. They do now, now that they're older and in college. Shoot, some of their friends follow me. (laughs) But like, I didn't follow their friends. I didn't go on their friends' pages. I didn't, I didn't never commented or liked or anything their stuff. Because I didn't want them to have to navigate me sort of being a presence on their social media. As they got older and they didn't care, then yes, we started to become, you know, we started to follow each other. We started to comment back and forth on each other. Now, I feel like that's the only way I communicate with my college kids is sharing things through Instagram with them. But in those early days... I did not do that. I didn't follow their friends. I didn't I didn't do any of those things because I wanted to maintain that access to my kids stuff and they needed to be able to trust that I wasn't going to ruin their lives <laughs> by interfering in anything on social. So you have to control your own self and don't think that access to their stuff is a way to control them so much as it is a way to help support them in that way. You know, I think we may be offset a couple potential bullying instances because I could see what was happening and could sort of help them navigate through those things. Yeah. (laughs) My other tip that I have written down here is just be quiet, (laughs) which is what I'm talking about here. You can follow them on all these things. Don't comment on anything. Don't post anything, including on your own. You know, I started out my world in social media as a mom blogger. So my kids were all over the place. And because the world was kind of smaller than, at least it felt smaller than, and we weren't as wise then to what does it mean to plaster our kids all over the place. As that changed and as my kids grew, I did not, I don't post anything without their permission of them. And I tend to use different accounts differently as far as what I put them up where I put them and how I put them up. So they are involved in mine as much as I'm involved in theirs. So that's important too, because they don't want to see their face all over social, your socials, if they haven't given you permission for that. And again, just kind of maintaining like you guys are on the same team. You are not trying to stop them from doing anything. You are trying to help them grow up with this new technology and learn this new technology. Just like you wouldn't send them off with the car keys and no direction or expect them to walk to school one day without actually doing it with them a couple times first so that they know where the place is and they know how to get there. Phones and social media and online lives require that same kind of guidance. The difference is that oftentimes we have to teach ourselves first. And that's a really important part of this is that you know not everything about everything, but you have a good handle on what's out there. What are the potential downfalls? In what ways can you support them and their growth as they navigate social and technology. Those are really important parts because if you're just buying them a phone and letting them go, you're not going to realize you need to do these things until you're so deep in it with them that it's become almost hostile between the two of you, or it's become them thinking you're against them or you're trying to punish them for it. I can't tell you the amount of people who say, I took away their phone. It helps nothing. (laughs) It doesn't help anything because now you've just used it as this tool, this thing you know they want that you're taking from them. Now, if you have set it up so that they earn their phone and they did something that showed you they weren't 
able to handle it right now, well, that's fine. But to just take it because they've done something wrong or because you're pissed off at them for something, that doesn't help anybody. Starting from the beginning with limitations and parameters and rules around how it's used, how they get to use it, how they get to keep it. Those are all important to start with so that you can go on with them in the same way. The rules are not going to be the same in sixth grade as they are in 10th grade. (laughs) They're going to grow and evolve with the kid just as the kid grows and evolves. And that's why it's really important for you to think of it as less rules and more structure. How are you going to structure this so that they grow healthily with this thing? as healthy as we can be. I mean, let's face it, these things aren't healthy to begin with, but as healthy as they can be. And how do you be as supportive as you can be as they learn how to navigate this world with it? So if you can think of it that way, rather than a punishment consequence, you know, way of using it, then everybody's better off. Knowing your kid, knowing their developmental pace and level and what they're going to be able to navigate is also important because then you know when it's time for things like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat or wherever they are in it. And again, none of those things should be arbitrary or unspoken about. Whenever you add something to it or whenever you change the parameters, there needs to be a frank conversation between you about why this is happening. What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the advantages? How you want them to be able to handle it and what parameters are in place so that they get a break from having to try to handle it. Because some of these things are very adult behaviors we're asking of them at really childish ages. So keeping that in mind too, that they don't have the capacity yet to make all of these kind of cause and effect choices. And so that's why we're there to help sort of build the scaffolding so that they can bounce around inside of it without getting hurt. Okay. I think one last thing I want to end with is it's not going anywhere. (laughs) You're not going to be able to keep them from this stuff forever. And Also, it's not evil in and of itself. It can be really dangerous without any kind of guidance or assistance. But just like a kid could get in a car accident, you're not going to just keep them from driving as a way to protect them. You're going to teach them how to do it safely. You're going to put some parameters around their early days of driving, and you're going to help them grow into the role of safe driver. Think of it the same way with phones and with social media and with every other online facet of what they're doing. You can't avoid it forever, and it's not pure evil, but we are responsible as parents for helping them grow within and develop within being someone who uses these tools because they're not going away. So try to get over the fear of them and instead start to understand them so that you can help your kids understand them too. All right. That is my soapbox for today. (laughs) Thanks for asking the question. Stay tuned for the um, noticing portion because there I will give you some resources that you can use far beyond this podcast. Thanks. Hey, welcome to the section of the podcast. Oops that I like to call, what are you noticing? Because it's about what I am noticing. And one of the two things I have is something that I have recently noticed. And then the other one is an oldie but a goodie that I recommend as often as I frequently can. And in both cases, the resources I have today are laid out specifically for the topic, which was how do you help your kids handle social media slash phone usage and that way. Sorry, you're you're getting that background noise of my dog scratching. (laughs) So that thumping that you hear in the background is my puppy dog. The first is a website slash app. I think they might have an app still. I'm not entirely sure that I relied on the entirety of my child, my children's early childhood, middle school, high school. Sometimes I still check it for my nieces and nephews and help out in that way. It is commonsensemedia.org. 
the organization is called Common Sense Media, and it is just a data. Uh, I, I, hate, I hesitate to call it a database because that sounds really boring. It is everything you want to know about movies, television, video games. Uh, what else? Oh, I'm going to look it up because I want to tell you. Movies, televisions, books, games, podcasts, and apps. <laughs> I'm going to show you if you're if you're watching the video version of it. This is the website on my phone, but it's reviews from a parent's perspective of what's in here that you need to be worried about, what's in here that is perfectly safe, what grades or what ages is this good for. So it'll give you everything you need to know. I specifically use this because I had two kids that were gamers that are gamers. And um, I, you know, I knew some basic stuff about what I didn't want in the house and what I was okay with, but they would come to me frequently daily, weekly, <laughs> new games that they wanted to download or try or whatever. And I relied on Common Sense Media every single time to tell me about it. It's not a place that feels judgy. It's not a place that's sort of trying to issue some sort of morality. I know there are other places that do that. I remember growing up and there was a Catholic, I think, maybe Christian, you know, publication, I think that gave movie reviews. And I would, you know, just hate it because my friends were never allowed to see the things I was allowed to see because their parents read that. Anyway, this is not like that. It is exactly what it says it is, common sense. It really just gives you the information so you as the parent can make the decision on what you think is right or wrong for your kid. So that is commonsensemedia.org. And then the other one is just this delightful human being I stumbled across on. I didn't stumble across. You don't stumble across anything on social media. It was the algorithm fed me this delightful person. And in one of the, this is one of those cases where the algorithm really worked to my advantage. Um, it's specifically, I saw it on her, them on Instagram, but they might have a TikTok too. I'm not exactly sure. So just look up wherever you are. The Gamer Educator. So The Gamer Educator is the handle. And they are exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> you are, again, they come from the perspective, I think that like, well, first of all, they're gamer themselves. So they come from the perspective of this is a thing that isn't going away and actually isn't evil. It can be really great to have this in your kid's life. Here's why. Here's some of the reasons why this is great to have in your kid's life. So there's that perspective, which is great. So some of the videos are that like, hey, here's one cool thing you can teach through gaming, which is great. I love it. But then there's also, here's some things you need to know. Here's some things you need to know about social. Here's some things you need to know about gaming. Here's some things you need to know about your kids and technology. And it's it's perfect. The presentations are perfect. If they're quick, it's easy. It's information you probably wouldn't know if you weren't involved on in internet gaming or in social media as much as this person seems to be. So it's just a nice resource to follow that their pages, their their handles on wherever. Definitely Instagram, probably also TikTok as well. Again, that's the gamer educator. So those are my two for you today. What am I noticing? Right now I am noticing a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny fall day outside my window. And so I'm going to sign off so I can go outside and soak up some of that sun because it's been raining here a lot and I think it's going to keep raining after today. So I'm going to go enjoy that for the afternoon. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep asking all the hard questions and uh, asking for help. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you heard something today that made you feel better about your parenting and about yourself. Remember, if you have a moment, we would love a review. It helps more people to hear about us. If you like the episode, share it with your friends. And of course, subscribe so that you know when it's going to drop every single week. Thanks again. Until next time, keep asking those same questions and know that the answer to am I a bad mom is always no. Thank you.